right, good morning, church. How is everybody? I'm excited to be here. Yes, let's praise God together. Stand with us and let's sing and let's celebrate who he is. Let's sing. Thank you. 
guys can have a seat as we transition to a, a time of prayer together. As we think about Jesus paying our debt, being our sacrifice. You know, when we pray, um, oftentimes when we close in prayer, we'll say something like, in Jesus' name, amen. And the reason we do that is not because it's just the way you say goodbye to God, right? The reason that we pray in Jesus' name is because of the song that we just sang, or they're, they're based off the same idea, that it is the, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ that makes anything and everything possible. So the reason that you're able to pray is because of Jesus, his work on your behalf through the cross, tearing down the sin wall that separates you and God so that you can have full relationship with him and included with that communion prayer with him so with that i want us to take some time here this morning and pray we we try to carve some time out in the service every sunday to do this and and we use matthew chapter 5 the lord's prayer as a model i encourage you to do that in your own life it's, it's a good model for you know people ask you know what do i pray i don't know what to pray well use use that as a model to to kind of walk you through what a prayer life can look like. That's the whole reason Jesus did that. And so as you, as you were to look at that, it begins in verses 9 and 10. When the disciples go to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And here's how he starts out. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So look at specifically at verse 10. We're, we're to build our prayers around the will of God, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how do we know God's will? That's the question. If we're to pray for God's will to be done, how do we pray other than just, God, your will be done? Prayer time's finished, right? How do we do that? Well, for sure there are certain things that... Um, it's difficult to know what God's will is, right? Um, you know, do we buy this house? Do we buy that house? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? How do we discern all of that? James 1 says, gives an answer for that. If any of you lacks wisdom, go to the Lord, asking for it by faith. He will give generously to all. But broader than that, how do we know how do we pray God's will? We, we pray God's will by praying the scriptures. God has laid out for us what his will is. God has laid out for us what his desires are for you, your marriage, your family, this world. God has told us. And so, so we must link our prayers to the scriptures so that we're grounded in knowing what God's will is as we pray. If you try to pray separate from the scriptures, all you're really doing is throwing up your wishful thinking. Here's what I would like to have happen with this or like to have happen with that. But, but grounding your prayers in the scriptures is what allows you to be able to really genuinely pray the will of God. I want to read for you a scripture, Psalm 119, verse 105. If you grew up in church, this is maybe one that you learned in Sunday school. Your word is a lamp to my feet lights to my path. It's describing the Bible as a light, right? If you're walking through the woods at night, 
You're outside and it's dark. You have to take your dog outside in the middle of the night because they cannot go to the bathroom when it's light outside. You have to take a flashlight. And most of us have it on our phones now, right? So you just pull your phone out and hit your light. And that light lights the path, right? And that's the way it's describing the Bible to us. The Bible is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It shows us where to walk and how to walk. And so it's, it is imperative, brothers and sisters, that your prayer life be grounded in God's Word. It's imperative. So I want to focus some time in prayer on that for us here today. That God would do that. That God would empower us. That God would show us in our minds, illuminate our hearts to see the importance of the Scriptures in prayer. We would dive into that and allow that to be a foundation for our prayer. So I want to encourage you to, to bow your heads for me. guide us in just a little bit of prayer with this idea of having the scriptures guide us in seeking and praying the will of God. So first, can we stop just for a second and just ask God that he would empower you, build up faith in you, illuminate what needs to be illuminated in you, so that you would believe God and his word and his promises. Oftentimes we don't pray the scriptures because we just don't trust the scriptures. Let's take just a moment and pray just you and your heart that you would be filled with greater faith to trust God, to believe God for the promises he has clearly marked out for you in his word. submit ourselves to God's word because if, if we're honest and I'll just say for me for me oftentimes when I've not gone to God's word in my prayers it's because the truth is listen I already know what the Bible says about that and I just don't want to hear it. if we're going to allow the word of God showing us the will of God to be the foundation for our prayers to God and we've got to submit ourselves to what the Bible says. God has already said his will for your marriage. God has already said his will for your kids. God's already said his will for you forgiving that person. God's already laid out his will for that. You don't have to ask it. He already told you. So can we take just a minute and, and ask the Lord that he would empower us to submit to that?
Lord God, I pray for us here this morning. God, that you would give us more and more and more hunger for your word. Forgive us, God, here this morning for not desiring your word, for not craving your word, for viewing it as supplementary and not the very source of life. pray, God, that your word will become more precious to us and that our cry would be the cry of Psalm 119.25, that your word would give us life. We would find true, real, genuine life in your word and its commands for us. And we would follow your will and our prayers would be driven by your revealed will and your word and that will bring life and joy and peace to us. I pray God that you would raise up in this church men and women mighty and powerful in prayer because they're mighty and powerful in the word. I pray God that you would join those together in our hearts so that we can, Jesus, just like you told us, we can pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. If you've got a Bible, let's find Galatians chapter 4, all right? We're going to pick it up in verse 8 together. Galatians 4. So... As you're finding that, let me throw out a a question to kind of set the stage for us. So imagine you have to take a flight this week, all right? You got to fly somewhere for work or pleasure or family or whatever. So you're you're on the flight and you're you're getting close to the destination. And as you're getting close, the pilot comes on the intercom and says, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We are reaching our destination. We'll be getting our descents momentarily. Had a bit of a tailwind with us today, so we're going to get you to the gate a few minutes early. Hope you've enjoyed your flight and hope you have a great rest of the day. Also, I've decided today that I am going to attempt to land this plane upside down. Should be fun. Right? At first, you're not paying attention, right? You're reading your book, you're, you're flipping through your phone, you're, you're, you're not listening to any of this stuff, right? So you're, you're doing this, and all of a sudden he says that, and you go, wait, what did he say? Wait, what? what I, I got a question. Wait, excuse, you're hitting the little, excuse me, steward, excuse me. A pilot attempting to land a plane upside down, it's not just a bad idea, right? It's it's disastrous, right? It's, it's, it's devastating, it's destructive, it's potentially deadly. In the same way that there is a clearly prescribed way to land a plane safely, and they want you to do that because that's just the rightly understood way that needs to be done. In the same way, there is a clearly defined understanding of how God desires to have a relationship with you. That is by grace through faith. That's why we're going through the book of Galatians, laying out a relationship with God that is just based in the work of Jesus Christ, by faith in Him, that is it, right? That's the whole point. And what I want you to see today, two big ideas, all right? Number one, attempting to 
have a relationship with God in any way other than how he has described it. It's not just a bad idea. It is dangerous. It is spiritually deadly. It is destructive. It will destroy your soul. Right? It, it, adding a rule to your life, this legalism, and, and, and how we're defining legalism as we walk through the book of Galatians is legalism is you thinking that you doing a thing makes you more right with God. Right? Because I do this thing, I'm more right with God. Because I, I do it in this way, I, I, I believe this way, or I do this thing, or I have this practice, or I don't do these things, because of that, I'm somehow elevated in my standing with God. That's legalism. You're trying to get to God by your own works. Doing that is not just adding a rule to your life to try to make your life better. That is destructive and deadly and dangerous. All right? And so then, at the end of that, we're going to try to lay that out, make sure you understand that. And then on the back end, we're going to show how glorious and amazing and awesome just a life of grace and faith is and what God desires to do in us through that. All right? So we're going to try to juxtapose these two ideas today. So before we do that, we do what we do every week through the book of Galatians. We're just laying out a very simple definition of the gospel so that we're all on the same page in what we mean, okay? When we say gospel, here's what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about the gospel today. You're going to hear me use that word and throw that out a bunch. So this just kind of helps. If you're new today, help us all understand when I say that, here's what I mean, all right? So we're going to repeat this together. Even if you're not a Christian, just repeat it out loud. Just we're all on the same page so we know what we're talking about when we say the word gospel for the next few minutes, all right? So here it is. Repeat it with me. The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross, and it is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it, and you miss Jesus. So this is the gospel. Messing with it, monkeying with it, changing it, adding, deleting, any of that causes you to miss the whole thing, right? So it's very important for us to have a clear understanding of what we mean when we say gospel. So let's start out today laying a foundation for understanding of how dangerous and destructive and deadly and wicked and vile legalism is, all right? So legalism starts out sounding good because legalistic people normally lead very clean lives, Right? They're the people you look on the outside and go, I need that dude to disciple me. Because he seems to have it all together. He doesn't seem to struggle with what anybody struggles with. His family looks like they're all perfect. Everything seems to be great. But if you're achieving that perception by just trying to do works in your own flesh, that's not a good thing. It's a very dangerous, deadly, destructive thing. So let's, let's, let's unpack that just for a second. First big idea I want you to see is this. Legalism is demonic. It's not just a bad idea. It's not just something that's, you know, unbiblical. It is absolutely of the devil. All right, so pick it up. Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But not that you have come to but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want you want uh, whose slaves you want to be once more All right so we just came off the hills of Halloween 
And Halloween seems to be a time where people get more intrigued with uh, the demonic and evil. And uh, typically it is portrayed in very, very extreme ways, right? Think exorcist, right? Head spinning around, green pea soup flying out. Just crazy. And to be sure, God does in, uh, 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 Satan does indeed on occasion manifest himself in that way. That is true. That is legitimate. That happens. I've seen it and been a part of it and experienced it. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. That is not, and I would argue this, and I think the Bible backs me up on this, that is not the primary way that Satan manifests himself for us today. Here's why. 2 Corinthians uh, eleven fourteen says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The reason he does that is because he knows if he can stay disguised, you're not understanding the spiritual battle you're getting crushed in. You don't even realize you're in. Right? If he, if he presented himself in these wild, extravagant ways, we would take notice, right? I mean, I had a guy come to me once and uh, said, I, I, need to, I need to talk with you. It's all right. He said, I, some things are happening in my family, and I just get the impression you're not going to think I'm crazy. I said, well, I cannot guarantee that, but we'll give it a shot. So what's going on? He said, well, just weird things are happening in my house. So we'll define weird. He said, well, the other day we were sitting down at dinner, and um, my coffee cup moved. I said, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> he said, yeah, and then we, um, we would sit down in the living room watching TV, and the handles on the dresser would just start flopping up and down. He said, and we have this blue orb that just floats through our house. And at night when my wife and I are in bed, we shut our door and our door handle jiggles like someone's trying to get in, but no one's there. <laughs> so you got some Harry Potter junk happening up in here, right? This is crazy. Now, so here's, here's what's going on. If that happened to you, right? If that happened to you, dude, you'd be calling an all-night prayer session immediately, right? You are, whoa, this is, Satan is on the offensive attacking us. I mean, you're you're running around, you, you got motor oil in the garage, you're anointing your house with it. You don't have any holy water, so you just grab Mountain Dew out the fridge, pray over it, start sprinkling it everywhere. If he manifested himself in that way, you would obviously and rightly so be up in arms. So he doesn't do that. Instead, he comes disguised as an angel of light. Something that seems good, seems right, something that just makes sense. Well, why wouldn't we say that all Christians should be blank? I mean, why wouldn't we say that everyone who says they're a Christian should look like this? It makes sense, right? Well, the problem is that's a demonic scheme. To get you to focus on you rather than Jesus. So again, look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So before you were a Christian, you were not just someone who didn't believe in Jesus. You were actually under the control of the demonic. 
Ephesians 2 says that you followed after the way of Satan. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says that you were captured by Satan to do his will. Before you are a Christian, you are in bonds and slavery to Satan. Now, I know if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking, I've got questions. And that's great. We'd love to chat with you about that. But that is how the Bible describes someone pre-salvation. This is someone who is, according again to verse 8, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, but they are demonic forces. But then, verse 9, you get saved. All right, so look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, and I love that just real quick. The Apostle Paul is ruthless on this. He will not for one second give any opportunity for you and I to think that our salvation, our right standing with God has anything to do with us. I love it. He almost kind of catches and corrects himself. Verse 9, again. But now that you have come to know God, then he goes, or rather to be known by God. So he's like, you being a Christian is not because you decided to become a Christian. It's not that you came to know God as much as God now came to know you. Right? It isn't because you read a book and pro and conned it out and decided, you know what, I, I, now that I think about it, I think Jesus is who he said he is. I think he really did die and rise again. You know what, I'm going to be a Christian. You are not a Christian because you decided to come to know God, but instead God turned his face towards you. God came to know you. And as a result of that, drew you to faith in him. But look what happens. So he's describing salvation. You've been come to, you've known by God. They're believers. However, the second part of verse 9, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? That phrase, weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. That's, again, this is sort of a New Testament way of describing the demonic. What he's saying is this. Now that you've been saved by grace through Jesus, God came to get you. It wasn't that you reached up to God. God reached down to you. God saved you supernaturally. You, had, you were dead in your sin and Jesus came and made you alive. How can you now jump back in league with these demonic forces that you used to be enslaved to? And how did they jump back in with the demonic? Right? What, did that, what did that look like? Did they get back in with the demonic because they started messing with a Ouija board? Or get back in with the demonic because they put crystals up all over their house? Or they started you know, following their horoscope? No, verse 10 says how did they jump back in with the demonic? They jump back in with the demonic by, verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. He's talking about legalism. They're jumping in line, even though they've been saved by grace through Jesus, they're jumping back in with demons because they're saying, we do it the right way. We're holy because we worship on this day. We observe this festival. We take this yearly Sabbath. We do these things, so now we are right with God. And what Paul is telling them is this, you doing all that on the surface looks good, Right? On the surface, you look at that guy and go, wow, he is, that guy's on point. I mean, he doesn't seem to struggle with any of the things I struggle with. He is, I mean, he's fasting on these days. I mean, I can't skip lunch without biting somebody's head off. He's doing all this crazy stuff. That's amazing. 
But what Paul is saying is, when you're doing these things thinking that that is what makes you right, that's what makes you holy, that's what's taking you a few steps closer to God, you're really just jumping in with the demons. It is, legalism is not just a bad idea. And legalism is not just adding a rule to try to make your life a little better. Legalism is demonic. And it's a ploy of Satan because Satan knows if he can get you focused on your actions, if he can get you focused on what you're doing rather than what Jesus has done for you, if he can get you focused on what you are doing, there are only two options. Either option A, you Look at the people around you compared to what you're doing, and you become prideful about it. Go, I am killing it compared to these people. Or option B, you look at yourself compared to everyone around you, and you sink into despair and condemnation. Either you become prideful, enslaved by the demonic, or you become condemned, enslaved by the demonic. Satan knows if he can get your eyes off Jesus and onto you, it's going to go bad. So this is his scheme. This is what he wants to do. I've told you before in this series, Satan cannot stop you from being fully, completely, totally forgiven by Jesus. So what he'll try to do is stop you from experiencing the joy of being fully, completely, totally forgiven by Jesus. Try to get you to focus on your actions and go, yeah, 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 but you're, you're still bad at this and you're still bad at that. And you're not good at this and you're not good at that. It's going to get you focusing on you, which spirals you into despair. And gets your eyes off Christ and onto you. And when we do this, it destroys us. It damages our relationship with God. We're not able to see God in the right way. Not that it damages God's walk toward God's uh, uh, involvement towards us, but it damages the way that we see and walk towards Him. It damages our relationships with one another. It damages churches, which is the next thing I want you to see. Legalism destroys a church. Right? How serious is this? It absolutely train wrecks churches. Look at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Verse 15, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So, so let's kind of unpack this just for a second. So as we kind of put some pieces together, apparently what's going on is this. So the Apostle Paul has some kind of physical ailment, something involving his eyes. We don't know what it is, but something with his eyes. And it is apparently debilitating. To the point that he feels like he's a hardship to those around him. Right? If you've ever been in that position, something physically is going on with you, and you just feel like, I'm, I'm just stuck depending on everyone else. You are in company with your good brother Paul. He was in that spot. And as you look at 2 Corinthians, um, when he's talking about this thorn in the flesh, 
Um, there's good evidence that this is maybe what he's talking about, this physical ailment. There's something going on with his eyes, and he's asked three different times for God to take it away. If you've ever been in that spot also, God, t- heal me. Take this. I trust you for this. I believe you for this. And as he asked for this, three different times God came back to him and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I want this to remain because I want my grace to be sufficient in you, and I want to do something in you through this that I maybe can't fully accomplish apart from this. This is accomplishing something good in you. I want it to stay. And so as he's struggling with all this, he's in Galatia with these people, and at first it says that they are passionate about helping him. To the point, verse 15 says, that that they would have gouged out their own eyes and given it to him if they could have. Right? They were so in love with him, so heartbroken for him, so tenderhearted towards him that they would have plucked out their own eyes if it would have been able to give them to Paul so that he can be healed. They deeply loved and cherished Paul. But something happened. That verse, first part of verse 15 he says, what has become of your blessedness? Their, 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 their mercy, their compassion, their grace, their love, their tenderness towards Paul. Something happened. What happened was this. Legalism. Legalism takes tender hearts and turns them into hard hearts. It's exactly what happened here. They used to have tender, compassionate, sweet, loving hearts. But when you start focusing on your works and your ability and what you can do, what you do with that is eventually your heart, while you're just thinking about your hands, right? I should do this or I shouldn't do that, but the hands and the heart are connected, right? And if you're focusing on your hands, what's going to happen is eventually over time, the heart becomes more and more and more hardened. Have you seen this? Have you seen people who used to be sweet and now they're not? They used to be kind and now they're bitter. As you look at someone who's bitter, you look at someone who struggles to forgive, you look at someone who used to be one way towards you or others and now they're a totally different way. What's going on there? I mean, I obviously don't know every situation or circumstance, but apparently from Galatians chapter 4, one of the things that could be happening there is legalism has hardened up their heart. You ever look at someone like Paul, look at someone and go, so whatever happened to your blessedness? Like you used to, you used to be really sweet. Now you're kind of a jerk. What happened? Legalism happened. You know, destroy a church. It keeps on going, verse 16. Look at this. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Legalism takes friends and turns them into enemies. The Apostle Paul. It's like, am I your enemy now? I mean, are, are we fighting each other now? Like, what happened here? Legalism takes friends and turns them into your enemies. And here's how this works. Because if you being godly is built around you doing a certain thing. I do this thing, so I'm godly. By definition, that means if someone else doesn't do this thing, they have to be what? Ungodly. Or at least not as godly as you. Right? If your entire spiritual life was built around the thing that you do, and that makes you right, and that makes you holy, and that makes you varsity, then everybody who doesn't do that, by definition, has to be JV, and you create these divisions. And as you create these divisions, 
People who used to be friends now become enemies. This is why churches split over stupid things, just stupid things. God was so gracious to us in our last church. Um, so before I came there, uh, they had experienced a massive split. It was just devastating. Um, and so they called me up and just said, hey, so our church just split. And we're pretty sure we're going to go bankrupt. You want to become our pastor? I'm like, you're an awesome salesperson. Let me tell you that. And so either they're a great salesperson or I'm stupid or God was in the middle of it. And I think that was door number three. Um, and, and we went. Um, and it was so bad. They once had a three and a half hour long knockdown, drag out business meeting over whether or not to buy a popcorn machine. You laugh to stop from crying. Um, and so the answer for that was they changed the bylaws. They used to do business meetings on Sundays directly after church, but they changed it to Wednesday nights because too many visitors were on Sunday morning and they saw they're crazy, so they switched it to Wednesday so nobody had to see the crazy instead of not being crazy. And so we came in and, um, and we just prayed and loved and encouraged, and, and God began to do a great work there. And God began to just, just change hearts and move. And, and as we began to kind of walk through all this, what, what God began to, to show them and us as we walked through all this was, at the heart of all of that ultimately was legalism. Why do churches split over the color of carpet? Because Jesus gives a rip if it's red or blue? No. Because you care so deeply if it's red or blue. And we can't possibly imagine anybody disagreeing with us and still being okay. So we split. And it's just legalism that takes people who used to be your friends and now makes them your enemies over something usually pretty stupid. Or in the very least, something that probably could have been talked through. It's just, it is a scheme of Satan to weaken the bride of Christ. And then you see another one, look at verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. He's talking about these religious leaders who are trying to get them to obey these rules. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am in, again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And then look at verse 20. I wish that I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Legalism takes good people and makes them crazy. The Apostle Paul, he's looking at these people. He's just saying, I, I am perplexed. I am, I am blown away. I'm floored. I don't get it. Why are you doing this again? Right? He's just, the word perplexed, it's just this, I, it's like, what have you been smoking? Right? It's in the Greek. You can't see it in your English. You won't be able to see it there. It's in, it's in the Greek. But he's thinking, this is insane. You ever had to look at a brother or sister in Christ and just think, what happened to you? Like, what happened to you? 
when we first met, when we first started coming to church here, when we first started engaging, I mean, you, you were this, and now you're this. I don't get it. That's exactly where Paul is. He's just confused. He's just perplexed. He's just blown away. I don't get it. What's happened here? Legalism happened here. They became so consumed with the externals rather than the hearts. And as a result of that, it destroyed this church, turned friends into enemies. That's exactly what happens in churches here today. They're destroyed. Why? Because ultimately, legalism just produces slavery, and you can't get out of it. This brings us to our next one. Verse 21, legalism brings slavery. So in the next few verses, we're going to hear about a few people um, from the Old Testament, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. So let's just kind of recap real quick some Old Testament history. So there were... uh, it was a couple in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis named Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham was really, really old, and his wife Sarah was really, 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 really old. And they didn't have kids. And God came to them and said, I'm going to give you kids. And so the angel of the Lord comes and says this. So do you remember, if you've read through it, whenever Sarah hears that they're going to have a baby, what does Sarah do? She she laughs, and not like the, oh, that's going to be great. Not like that kind of laugh. No, she was like, ha, 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 whatever. Right? You're nuts. But we know eventually the story, but, but let's don't get there yet. So God comes to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a baby. But it doesn't happen right away. Right? There's a waiting And in that waiting is where they're supposed to be walking in faith. And if you know the story, they kind of don't do so great with that. There are a couple times that um, Abraham gives his wife Sarah away to someone else to be married. Not a good idea. Doesn't work well. Now, he did it once, right? And it's like, I can't believe you did that. And then he did it a second time? Can you imagine the camel ride home after that one? Right? It's like, you did it again? Can't believe that. But Abraham wasn't the only one who struggled with faith, Sarah as well. Uh, So if you know the story again, so Sarah has a handmaid, a servant named Hagar, young girl. Uh, So she takes Hagar and gives her to Abraham as a second wife. Again, just brilliant ideas all around, yeah? Gives Hagar to Abraham and says, well, you marry Hagar, you have a baby with Hagar, and then since she is my servant, that's technically going to be my kid, and so that's the way that we'll do this, right? We'll, 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 do it, we'll do it that way. So pick it up in verse 21. Here's what God is, is saying in all of this. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, that's Ishmael that he had with Hagar, and Isaac that he's going to have with Sarah, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So although Ishmael 
with Abraham and Hagar was technically Abraham's firstborn son. He wasn't going to inherit anything from Abraham. He wasn't the one promised by God. Because what Ishmael is, is an example of Abraham and Sarah trying to do it in their own strength. Their own strength, their own ability, what they can come up with, what they can accomplish. They plan this thing out. All right, as I look in the physical, there's no way this is going to happen. But if we do it this way, maybe that might work. It's them trying to manipulate God. You don't have to raise your hand, but every person in the room has done it. Trying some way to manipulate. If I do this, then maybe God will do that. That's exactly what Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael are. But the son of the promise, Isaac, this represents something being done only by the miracle hand of God. Right? You can't do it. You can't accomplish it. You can't stir it up. It's just God in his grace giving a gift. And what we see here is, this isn't just about them, it also is about us. So verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But, Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So we believe here that the Bible is to be interpreted literally. Literally. We believe that there was a literal Adam and Eve. We believe there was a literal Jonah swallowed by a literal fish and was in there for a literal three days and then got spit out. We believe all of that. Literal. We believe that literal, literally Jesus will return dressed in white, taking his people. We, we believe literal. And there are some parts of the Bible that are to be considered allegory. Now, here's a good Bible interpretation rule. You ready? You interpret the Bible allegorically when, listen to me, the Bible says it's allegory. All right? This is a good Bible interpretation tip for you, okay? So here, the Apostle Paul says this is an allegory. In other words, now, there is a literal Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. Those were real people who lived real lives, and this is really their story. And it's also meant to be uh, a moral lesson for us. It's meant to teach us a spiritual truth about our lives. And what is that spiritual truth? You have two options. You can be like Hagar, or you can be in the covenant of Sarah. Hagar and Ishmael represents bondage and slavery. You in your own strength, doing your best efforts to accomplish what you think you can do. And it says here that that's slavery. And that's slavery because it's never enough, is it? There's always something else. There's always another rule. There's always someone who's better than you that you have to try to keep up with. It never, ever, ever ends. It's just slavery and bondage and manipulation. So that's option A. Or there's option B, which is freedom that comes through just grace. And Here's why that matters. Verse 27. True joy, true joy can only come through that humble faith. So in verse 27, he quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1. So let's read that. 
For it is written, this is Isaiah 54, 1. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What he's saying here is this. True joy is going to come in those people who stand and freely say, there is no physical reason I can accomplish anything. Right? He uses the example of a barren woman. Someone who cannot give birth and them having more joy than the woman with a husband and they're able to have a child because that barren woman knows that this is just going to be a hand of God thing and nothing that's manipulated in the flesh. And this is what he's saying for you. When we come to the point where we realize we bring nothing, it's just grace, all grace, total grace, and we fall on God and say, Lord God, you do anything and everything you want to do in me. I'm not depending on my own work, on my own effort, in my own strength, in my own reasoning. I just want you. This changes everything. Legalism is demonic and it destroys churches and it, it, it leads to slavery, but also it's just dumb because it can't really do anything. So I'll give you an example, an illustration. So as I was walking out the house this morning, walking through the garage to get in the car, I uh, walked by one of my work gloves. So on one hand, you can look at this glove and see it is dirty and torn up and I got holes in it. And, and on one hand, you can look at this well-worn glove and think, that glove's done a lot of work. Boy, that glove has really, really worked hard. You can see all the wounds that come from all the hard work that glove has done. But the truth is this. This glove has never done anything. It just sits there. And I can talk to that glove and preach to that glove and encourage that glove and pray for that glove and, and, and lay out a plan for how that glove can do good work. But the truth is, this glove does nothing. It just sits there. However, when I slip that glove onto my hand and my hand fills that glove up, now it's my hand doing the work. All you see is the glove, right? But you know that it's actually my hand inside that's doing it. And if I would walk by and shake your hand right now, your, your, your response wouldn't be, I shook, I, I, I shook Brad's glove. You, you shook Brad's hand. It's not the glove that does the work, it's the hand that fills the glove. In, in the book of Judges chapter 6, you meet a guy named Gideon. It and in Judges 6, God calls Gideon a man of valor. So if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, you know he is anything but that. Right? He is a man of fear and doubt. He's struggling a lot. But God calls him a man of valor. Great, mighty man of valor. Why does he do that? Not because valor and courage and strength and honor are just innately in Gideon. God calls him that because God knows what he's going to do in and through Gideon. He calls him a mighty man of valor, not because of who he is, but because God knows who God is and what God is going to do in him. And if you keep going in Judges chapter 6, you're going to see in verse 34 it says, The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, wrapped himself in Gideon. Literally, the Spirit of God put on Gideon 
like a glove. And as God filled Gideon, God began to do through Gideon what only God could do. And it wasn't Gideon and his strength. It was just God. Same thing for you and I. Your best efforts are just a glove. You are a glove. It's not that you do the work. God desires to fill you so that he can do the work. Again, you got two options. Believe that your best efforts accomplish something towards God, and that leads to slavery. Or believe that it's just going to be a miraculous work of God in my heart through grace and faith, and God gets all the glory as he fills me and does this work in and through me. So what do we do now? Verse 28. What do we do? Now, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, But just as at that time you who were born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, you are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Here's what this means. As they had Ishmael and Isaac in this house, one born of the slave woman, one born of the free woman, God looked at Abraham and said, I can't have these two guys in the same house together because I'm working through a promise, not through best efforts of man. So you need to remove this woman and her son from this house so that these waters don't get muddied. And what he's saying to you here today is... Stop trying to mingle together God's grace in your best efforts. Cast out the legalism. Kick it out of your heart. Remove it. Realize today that it is just an act of God's grace in your life. And that's it. And you're just trusting Jesus for everything. You're waking up every morning not trying to do your best efforts, but asking Jesus to fill you through the power of his Holy Spirit. And do his work in and through you by grace, through faith. I want to encourage you to stand with us as we close our time here this morning. Worshiping together. Professing with our mouths what we've claimed to be true in our hearts. That we need Jesus for everything. Let's worship together.
have a seat for me just for a minute as we wrap up our time here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that is to grab your cell phone right now before you leave and just text the word connect to our number. Uh, that'll just get us plugged in with you so we can minister to you in the best way uh, possible. And then also, if you're not a visitor, you're not a first-timer, but God's just kind of stirred in your heart and you've got some questions, this is a great way for you to connect with the pastor as well. You can text connect to this number. Mark on there, you'd like to talk with the pastor. We'll reach out to you this week, sit down with you, and uh, help walk through what the Lord is doing in your heart and speaking to you. Uh, but for everyone here, real quick, three quick announcements. Our big three for the week, we want everyone to know. Uh, everything has to do with, honestly, this coming Sunday. So a lot coming on this week. First, Veterans Day. Uh, Sunday evening, November 14th, we're going to have a Veterans Day dinner at 530. Uh, if you're active duty or veteran, you and your family, we'd love for you to invite you to this just to say thank you, uh, honor you for your service. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, just text the word veteran to our number, 910-424-1298. Text veteran so we know how many to prepare for. Second, this coming Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, we're having our yearly family meeting where we vote on the budget and new leaders for next year and let you know a little bit of what God's going to do. Uh, we believe what we have planned for the next year. Uh, so we'd love for you to come be a part of that. We're going to provide lunch for you, but we need to know if you're coming. At last count, we got like 25 people signed up to come, and I know more of you people are going to come eat than that, all right? So text in family to let us know how many in your crew is coming so we know how many to prepare for. And then lastly, uh, this coming Sunday, November 14th, is the last day to bring in your Christmas child boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Bring those in, drop those off on the front steps, and we'll get those sent out where they need to go. So don't forget that. But for all other announcements, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play, Southview Baptist Church app. You can download the app. That's how you're going to find announcements, sign up for things, find a journey group. You can give, two ways to give, give online through the app or in the giving boxes when you leave, whatever works best for you, but be sure to do that. Southview Baptist Church, we seek to lead people to revere, honor, adore Jesus above all else and to enjoy Jesus as the greatest treasure in the universe. So I want to encourage you this week, leave today and go out into your world, worshiping Jesus with all of your hearts, nurturing a deeper, more intimate walk with Christ in your own life and in the lives of those that you're around, and go out into this lost and dying world as a witness to Jesus Christ as the only answer for every question they're asking. I love you guys with all my heart. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.